All right. You ready, man? Yeah. Let me know when you want to go. I don't know. I was just like hoping, like as with Reagan, that we could have used Bonzo Ghost to Bitburg, that we could use actually God Save the Queen, but John Lydon is a fucking conservative prick. Yeah, but I mean, God Save the Queen is the national anthem. No, but the Sex Pistols version. Yeah, I, we can't use that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, welcome back to the intervention. Um, you probably haven't noticed, but it feels like a pretty long time since we've recorded. Uh, I had COVID. I was traveling before that. So, it's, you know, it's, this is the first time we've been together for... <laughs> We're releasing episodes out of sync and everybody's all confused. Yeah. This We're is commenting first... on, like, current events, like, yeah. one month later in podcast land. It's like... <laughs> but this is the first time we've recorded together for a while because our last... The Reagan episode we dropped, obviously, we did remotely. But um, anyway, so... So if any of you don't know, this weekend is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, which is a celebration of her 70-year reign as monarch Yay. of Great Britain. Um, and as such, I thought we could take a brief look at the role of or benefits for the royal family in relation to imperialism through the years. This is kind of a last-minute decision, um, so it's by no means extensive. But I thought, you know, Nick and I should, you know, quote unquote, celebrate this historic occasion in our own way. (laughs) So this is a brief summary and it comes from the British Empire.co.uk. So I I assume you can figure out where their sympathies lie. They're not what we think. This is monarchy sponsored media. Yeah. So the role of monarchs and their relationship with the British Empire changed over time. In fact, there is something of an indirect correlation between their power and their prestige. Over time, but with some important exceptions, the relative power of monarchs to influence policy steadily diminished. However, even though actual power has declined for monarchs, their status as icons representing the imperial adventure has generally traveled in the opposite direction. The decline in power is related to the rising importance of democracy, whilst the rise in prestige in prestige may partly be as a result of increasingly of being increasingly isolated and removed from policy decisions and therefore mistakes but also due to improved communications and the ability for monarchs to be more widely known and even to travel to the far corners of the globe by the 20th century <laughs> the monarchy of the 21st century is a very different institution from that of 500 years ago but the seeds for change and its evolution had already been sowed so, a few things to kind of talk about there. There's this thing in Britain called the Royal Decree, mm-hmm. where basically anything that passes through Parliament, the Queen has to sign off on to make it law. So, is it rubber stamp? I mean, does she do they so, ever push yeah. back? Like, so is there it, anything too? I guess even in like the World War II era, where like the, the uh, King had more say at the time. Yes. Yeah, so I was, you know, it's basically just a. A novelty thing now. Yeah. If she ever was to, I mean, I, I'm sure there'll people. There's people in Britain that would argue with me here, but if she was ever to not agree with something that Parliament monarchy would be gone. Yeah. yeah. If not gone, at least that power would be the removed. rubber stamp thing gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just you know, in in the past, yes, the monarchy had much more influence over policy, whereas now, I, I that's not the case. Right. So. Also, just the other thing that stuck with me was like, 
Is democracy rising in England now? Well, I, I think fascism is probably rising <laughs> in England now. I think this guy is, you know, is is talking in generalities about, you know, we, we like to talk about democracy, but I don't necessarily yeah. think it's a real thing. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, the rise of UKIP and MAG and well, with the Brexit, the British equivalent of MAGA is is certainly not, um, you know, not democracy. Uh, well, I guess you could argue that Brexit was democracy because the whole country voted on it, but there was some pretty uh, nefarious influences on on people for for why they voted for that. A lot of lying going on for the exit campaign. But do we know the Queen's thoughts on Brexit? No, and I'll, I'll make I'll make a point later. It's it's the the policy of the royals not to get involved in policy and political influence. So they just rubber stamp shit. They just rubber stamp stuff, and there's some criticisms later, and I'll get into that, about while they don't, they're not supposed to have an influence on politics, they're supposed to be the moral compass, mm-hmm. and they failed in that pretty recently. And I'll, and I'll talk about that. But, um, so as I mentioned, this will not be a deep dive, and I think going, f- I, you and I talked about this, but going forward, you know, it may benefit some of my research to like doing more series based podcasts. Right. Um, for example, a series on the British East India company, you can't do that in one podcast. No, you, you have to do it in a few. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about like outcomes and impacts and, and like lessons events. like we did, but yeah, like you can talk about Amrit's store. You can talk about certain, like, you know, certain thing Botswana, but again, that was probably more the South African British company, right. um, or British South Africa company. So, you know, we'll see. And, you know, it, it may benefit to go into the reign of, cer- of certain monarchs and their influence on imperialism. But for today, I thought we could go over some of the benefits the monarchy has reaped due to their exploitation of empire. So the first thing I'm going to read is an article from a, an Australian publication called The Conversation. Uh, this was written by Lauren Clancy, and it names five benefits the royals have seen from uh, supporting Britain's imperial aspirations and in some cases, driving those aspirations. So it, it's it's five kind of overriding and and uh, basic things, but in, and it doesn't go into great detail. But it, I think it's a good summary of of you know at least five things that they've benefited from. Right. Okay. So the first one is funding slavery voyages. Yay! Super fucking cool. <laughs> We're off to a great start. Yeah. The British monarchy was central to the establishment, expansion, and maintenance of the British Empire and the transatlantic slave trade. The Declaration of English Empire was first made by Henry VIII in 1532. Elizabeth Elizabeth I granted a royal charter, which is an instrument of incorporation, like we've talked about with the British East India Company. Yeah, they had that, right, which granted them authority to have an army and shit. Right. So prior to the British East India Company, she granted one to Sir John Hawkins, who's widely considered one of the first English traders to profit from the slave trade. Slave trade, And then she also granted a charter to the British East India Company in 1600. After Elizabeth's death, Charles II formed the Royal African Company in 1660, led by the Duke of York, who was later James II which extracted goods such as gold and ivory from the Gold Coast and transported over 3,000 Africans to Barbados. 
Many of these had the initials D.Y. burned into their skin to signify their belonging to the Duke of York. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Both men invested private funds in the company, so the Duke of York and Charles II. Queen Victoria assumed the title of Empress of India in 1877, and by 1920, the empire was 13.71 million square miles. The British monarch's global significance and power stemmed directly from the enslavement of people of color. Yeah. I mean, and I'm going to, again, because, but I'm going to make this American-centric again, as I want to do. But that means America can blame a lot of our current problems on the monarchy as well. I mean, beyond just like King George, but, you know, you think about the still existing racial disparities that exist as a result of this country's history, right? So it's directly linked to the stuff that we're talking about right now, inextricable with the growth of capitalism in this country and shit like that. But like, that's their fault too, the bastards. Yeah. And later (laughs) I'll get, I'll I'll get, I'll get into like the lingering racism in England as well. I'll get into that in the, the second article I'll touch on. So the second point that, Laura Clancy makes is the Commonwealth, which do you know what the Commonwealth is? I've heard it so many times, but I don't think I've ever thought. So to the like Commonwealth define is, it. well, I'll read what she says. The Commonwealth is an organization of fifty-two quote independent and equal member states. Despite this independent claim, the Commonwealth has imperial origins. So it's basically all of our for- former colonies. So like, is Canada still yes. Commonwealth? Yeah, Australia. Yeah, India. They're all still Commonwealth countries. Many of the member states are former colonies of the British Empire, and Commonwealth, Commonwealth expert Philip Murphy describes the way Imperial became Commonwealth as haphazard. The Commonwealth emerged from post-World War II decolonization as a means of reassuring the British public that the demise of empire would not diminish Britain's global prestige. Because we've got neo-imperialism now. Yeah, well... The Queen is head of the Commonwealth, and Prince Charles was appointed as her successor in 2018. The position is not hereditary, and there is no constitutional or statutory reason why Charles would take this role. The role of of head of the Commonwealth allows the monarch to continue their position of international privilege and influence, which stems from colonial histories. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... You know, we, we Britain can't demand people send their trade to them anymore, but right. they're still the head of state. And I'll get into that point next. They're still head of state for a lot of these countries. Yeah, that's wild. It's crazy. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You've got, I mean, an acknowledged powerless person within Britain itself as the functional head of state, right? Like, yeah. You know, they're rubber stamping shit through parliament, right? And the prime minister runs the show. Yeah, and and I'll get into this later, but like, the prime minister when the prime minister of England is also a member of like Jamaica's parliament, just by this bullshit. It's like it's not we're not decolonized yet, guys. Yeah, we're not decolonized yet. Exactly. So the next point is the Queen as head of state. So the London Declaration of 1949, which addressed India's position in in the Commonwealth as a republic. Set the, president, set the precedent for Commonwealth countries to adopt republicanism. But today, 15 remain constitutional monarchies with Elizabeth II as head of state, including the Caribbean islands like Jamaica, South American countries like Belize, African states like Ghana, and Canada and Australia. 
Since 1842, each country has nominated a local governor general as the Queen's representative, with the power to propose legislation, disprove bills, and dissolve parliament. Although the Queen has no direct political control in these realms, governor generals could be interpreted as ongoing, as ongoing monarch, monarchical administrative power. Well, think so, about the guy... Sorry to cut you off, but think about the guy we talked about in... Um, <clears throat> in the Reagan episode, right? Gough Whitlam. In Australia? No, 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 no. Okay. In our Reagan episode when he invaded Granada. Yeah. The one guy who they sent the forged letter to, Yeah, he was in that governor general role, yeah. essentially. So the, the, the point that I've got here is, is Gough Whitlam, who was the prime minister of Australia, who was like the first socialist left-wing prime minister of, Austra- of Australia. The governor general did not approve of him. Right. And basically with the help of the cia enacted a coup to get rid of him yep and with the support of queen elizabeth so it still matters that they're still matters they've got this head of state they they claim it's just like a uh, a representative position but it's not here's the thing like if you take a material analysis of it they wouldn't bother with the pomp and circumstance and the money to keep that up yeah if there wasn't enough coming out of that relationship to justify the continuance of it, right? Right. They don't do it just to do it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, many of these countries, including Australia, Jamaica, Grenada, St. Lucia, and Tuvalu, still use God Save the Queen slash King as the national or royal anthem. As sociologist Ty Salandi argues such cultural texts were used during empire to instill British values and subservience to colonial authority and their continuance, their continued use suggests a similar system of values. Yeah. And again, it's just like, you know, people say we're in like this post racial era. Like that is just a glaring example of how white supremacy is not dead. Exactly. It's not dead and behind us, right? Yeah, and because we'll get these, into that a lot. You know, I mean, they later. buried these people's cultures for so long, and like that's such a big problem in terms of like getting back to that national identity in the context of like decolonial struggles and things like that, right? Just if you read these people, they that's a very central focus, yeah. right? Um, and even if you know, you can go past national identities and just look at the Native Americans, and just all their culture has just been ripped away from them. Yeah. So in 2021, Barbados removed the Queen as head of state, officially becoming a republic but remaining part of the Commonwealth. There are reports that Jamaica is planning to do the same after the royal visit, which I'll get into later. So the fourth point is property, land, and goods. So following the National Trust report into histories of slavery and uh, colonialism in its properties... The chief curator of the historic of historic royal palaces, Lucy Worsley, announced a similar investigation into royal palaces in 2020. Worsley said that all properties used by the Stuart dynasty in the 17th century were going to have an element of money derived from slavery within them. This includes Kensington Palace, Hampton Court Palace, which have connections to King William III, another part owner of the Royal African Company. This is not to mention goods now owned by the monarchy that were stolen during colonization, such as the Ka-i-Noor diamond from India, which is used in the crown jewels, which Pakistan and India have repeatedly asked to be returned to them. The lack of transparency regarded that the, what the crown owns versus the queen's personal effects make it even harder to trace these histories. So another thing, you can draw some other things here. 
I was I'm reading a book about Benin, which is now part of Nigeria, and about the bronzes that were stolen during British imperialism. They are all in the British Museum. If you go through the British Museum, which I have on a few occasions, it's just all shit we've stolen. There's a yeah. there's a comedian and I'm I'm forgetting his name now, but he has a really good bit on like countries coming to Britain and saying like, "Hey, you know, you guys stole this stuff. It's fine. We just want it back. You know, can we have it back?" And Britain are like, "No, we're still looking at this." Yeah. <laughs> like no, I mean, there's <clears throat> like comedians and there's like, I, I kept thinking of like various memes I've seen online, like regarding to, you know, Britain stealing these precious artifacts and items and things of cultural significance and, like, leaving, cultural them, significance. Yeah, and leaving them in, in the museum. Right. And it's like, you know, I think some people look at it as it's like, oh, it's funny and blah, blah, blah. And it is funny to shit on the British. But like some of these things have like real, I mean, most of these things have real like cultural historical significance to these people that had it unjustly stole from them by the monarchy and like the agents of the monarchy and you know right. whatever the british government you know has morphed into over the years and stuff like that but the, like again as funny as it can be to like make fun of them and they should be made fun of and like shamed for it but it fucking matters to people yeah you know and and one like, thing what did they do to, what did they do to, to deserve this stuff other than you know, we spread beat, liberalism, Nick. Yeah, right. Come on. Like, beat them in wars, right? Like, we spread like, Christianity. What the fuck? Yeah. No. That, Give uh, it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the other, you know, the other side of this, when it talks about property, land, and goods, and I think we touched on this when we were talking earlier, was, you know, I think, and I, I'm forgetting the, the, the exact numbers, so um, if I'm wrong, please don't, you know, give me too much shit, but... uh India was exporting some to something like 85% of the world before Britain took over. That became once Britain took over that became 3% because Britain were taking everything. So it's not just, you know, it, you, when you talk about capitalism in a quote-unquote free market, that didn't exist for these people. That was just, you know, capitalism didn't, ex- you know, whatever people think the benefits of capitalism were and if we were trying to pass this on to these quote-unquote savage nations that's not what we did we just stole their shit well i mean and i'm not saying capitalism is a good thing no it's not obviously (laughs) right but like that's but it's like passing these liberal values on means in in it's liberal values is a western system right it's a western system of values yes so passing that on means passing a white western system of values right right but passing that system on means passing a system on that's going of to oppression. Yeah, of oppression that's going to benefit Western nations more. So, because I mean, to your point about India, like they had like these vast trade networks and things like that set up. I mean, China for, you know, thousands of years or hundreds of years anyway, was well ahead of like yes. Europe in terms of like development and trade and things like that, you know. And, you know, there's cycles of things and they had their own empires that went through, you know, cycles of decay and things like that. But, everything stagnated so much when the West came in yeah. and imposed these systems on people. And it, it, I mean, Africa as well. Oh, 100%. there aren't a lot of, yeah, there's there aren't no, a lot of written history. There's no exception on yeah. the global stage when it comes to the impact of like, a I mean, British and American imperialism, right? Well, I mean the, the effect of British and Western imperialism on Africa is the, the fact that we view them as again, quote unquote savages, right? These were pretty highly evolved cultures now, you know, people just think 
I mean, like, if you think about Africa, I think what the majority of probably Americans and British think is that scene from, like, Independence Day, where the aliens are coming and there's a bunch of Africans in loincloths. Yeah. That's fucking bullshit. 100%. You know. I mean, and again, it goes into, like, the construction of history in a way to justify and, and like that construction of history plays into the media that you see. So like your perception of things is associated with certain images, which kind of justify the dominant narrative. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the last point of, of this, and then she gets into a little bit of a summary is our great Imperial family yeah. in a speech in 1947 in South Africa, then princess Elizabeth declared she would devote her life to, to service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. The concept of an imperial family reflects the idea of British monarchy as empire's figurehead, vested in ideologies of, and this is, this is exactly right, of white supremacy and colonialism. This idea also plays a role in royal international visits. Royal visits have historically had colonialist implications by portraying the royal as a white savior. Media scholar Raka Shom discusses how Diana became a symbol of this in um, photographs of her playing with and caring for black children in Africa. And we can see perhaps, and we can perhaps see this playing out again when the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, so that's William and Kate, were shaking hands with Jamaican residents through wire fencing. Yeah, you know who they need to be saved from? These fucking people. Yeah. That's who they need to be fucking saved from. That's right. Such visits attempt to rewrite, rewrite colonial and imperial histories through discor- discourses of philanthropy and global community with the royals of, as head of the global family. It is, in essence, good PR. Yeah. No, and, like, that's the thing. Like, it still matters because, like, again, media plays such a huge role, right? I mean, you can see it. Like, Americans are still obsessed with, like, the royal family and shit like that. I mean, a segment of us, anyway, are. My in-laws, man, like, all they ever talk about is Diana. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck about Diana. Right, but, like, the point is, like, the way that they're still portrayed in, like, you know, Western media and stuff like that still has has an impact in terms of, like, ensuring consent to keep these kind of things up right which as we said before like being head of state and doing these visits to kind of you know move influence in a certain direction like it still fucking matters oh yeah so um laura clancy kind of finishes this with um this only scratches the surface of the monarchy's connections to colonialism and imperialism As the PNP Women's Movement, a Jamaican movement advocating for women and girls, wrote in the Jamaican Observer, we were beaten and broken into believing that our purpose as a nation was to cater to yours. This is not least in the fact that, as they say, roads were resurfaced and hospitals were cleaned in preparations for the royal visit. And that was when Kate and William visited rather than years earlier for the impoverished black communities who use them every day. Yep. In a speech in Jamaica, Prince William expressed profound sorrow over slavery, which, quote, forever stains our history. Then give the fucking money back that your family (laughs) has. He stopped short, however, of acknowledging the monarchy's role in that history, an institution from which he continues to benefit. In the wake of global movements against racism and colonialism, perhaps it is finally time for the monarchy to reckon with its history. So I think Laura Clancy does a pretty good job there. Yeah. 
No, I mean, they're parasites on a global fucking scale. Yeah. Is what they are. Yeah, and, you know, it, I guess it's hard from this country. We don't... We have families that are global parasites, right? But we don't have a monarchy. Yeah. I mean... Which isn't a bad thing. There's a, there's some level to say that, like, <clears throat> just the West in general is a global parasite on the yes. global South. But No like, kidding, yeah. They're just, like, this monarchical family is just i don't know they're just such a good representation i think of like the excesses of that relationship yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah okay so um next uh it is probably also worth looking at the relationship between the royals and Meghan markle and how this ties to the royals imperial past and also you know the racist kind of undertones and well not even undertones just just the racist just nature. Overt racism yeah, <laughs> overt racism of them so this is again from the australian publication the conversation but this is written by benjamin jones so this is going to go into i don't know if you remember oprah winfrey interviewed harry and megan years ago i saw like memes i never yeah, so, watched it so the kind of he draws some points from that interview and then ties it in with everything so the most so they're known as the sussexes if you didn't know yeah so the most explosive element of the sussexes highly anticipated interview with oprah winfrey was the claim that someone within the royal household had quote concerns over how dark sin dark skinned the couple's son archie might be god forbid he might be king someday (laughs) i have no (laughs) question that that was said i no doubt that that is completely accurate because that shatters that would shatter this whole fucking system that they have set up right that would shatter everything so while winfrey later clarified neither the queen nor the duke of edinburgh who is the queen's husband were behind the remark megan also suggested their son was denied the title of prince because of his his mixed race again i have no doubt that that is true The interview points to a larger issue of racism in the British monarchy, both contemporary and historical. And you can tie this, I think, to Brexit and the racism that probably led to Brexit. Um, I think I mentioned on the Reagan episode, you know, the my uncle's kind of frustration with a lot of his previously labor and left wing supporting colleagues moving towards supporting Boris Johnson, and it's almost solely down to racism. Yeah. Um, So when the couple began dating, some hoped it would usher in a period of royal renewal. Meghan, who has an African-American mother and white father, was presented as a symbol of the modern inclusive monarchy. These hopes were gradually dashed with consistently negative media coverage including unfavorable comparisons with Meghan's sister-in-law, Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge. Meghan revealed to Winfrey that the pressure to perform official duties in the face of mounting criticism led to depression and suicidal thoughts. The couple lamented the lack of support they received from the royal family. It is a tragic story at an individual level, but it also points to a history of structural racism within the monarchy. Harry noted that the press attacks on his wife had colonial undertones, which the royal family refused to address. 
These are part of a longer history of colonialism and racism in which the Windsors are entangled. So I think Harry, he's got some realization there. Yeah, no, I mean, if he said the word colonial, yeah, then that's a big thing. Yes. Because, like, here's the thing. And now he's been kicked out, so. Yeah, no, no, and good for him, man, for, like, sticking with his wife, you know? And at the end of the day, like, look, there's... There's an argument to be made here that, look, these are a bunch of rich people. You know, Meghan Markle was an actress and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, you can get to a point where you're, like, just reducing this all down to class and be like, fuck it all. But you know what? This system of imperialism and colonialism has set up more contradictions than just a contradiction in class. There is a big, big racial contradiction in this whole, in this whole conversation about, like, making a world that we want better. Right. And things yes. like that. So like, you know, again, my sympathy for rich people only goes so far. Yeah, not things very like far. that. But when it comes to like the idea of like, you know, the impacts that are felt both in this country, in the US and on England due to the racism which is rooted in slavery and colonialism and stuff like that, that is something that we still need to address. Yeah. Before we're ever going to do anything serious. You because, you know, forward. because black and white people still aren't equal. Right. You know what I mean? So how on a class basis are we going to come to terms in terms of equality? Right. If we're not fighting on equal footing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so. And, you know, like it's still it's uh, my point is it's still worth taking these things seriously instead, not just dismissing this as like, oh, these are two rich people. Like there's real legitimate like colonial impacts. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Harry is. Well. For a long time, both William and Harry were viewed as a departure from the traditional monarchy. Um, And just some examples of that was like, traditionally, the monarchy goes to Oxford and Cambridge. William realized he probably wasn't smart enough and he went to St. Andrews. Like, is that a big thing? No, but like, symbolically, it was somewhat viewed as a realization that he was a little more normal than maybe previous monarchs had right that's one thing um they both served in the military which i have my own you know uh, hesitations in in supporting someone that would they would voluntarily join the military and like currently right i mean there's a lot of people that have no choice i think in this especially in this country the black and brown people getting bombed don't feel that way, though. They don't give a fuck. No. You know what that person's situation I know, but, is. But I, I do think there needs to be a realization that there's working people in this country that have no other option, that, that, that see themselves as having no other option than joining the military. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah. I just want to make that point. That, yeah. You know? no, I agree. Yeah. And it's worth making. Um, but, you know, there was there was at least a view in England that they were trying to modernize the monarchy. Mm-hmm. And I think Harry probably embodies that more than his brother now. Yeah. And, I mean, he's not part of the monarchy anymore. Right. So, anyway. so the next point that um, is made in this article is, is the slave trade. Again, so I'm going to kind of touch on stuff that we've, we've talked about, but it's, it's interesting in this perspective rather than, than the one previous, just kind of naming them. So the Queen's distant predecessor, Elizabeth I, was integral to establishing the British slave trade. One of the founders of the trade in the 16th century, as we mentioned, Sir John Hawkins, impressed Elizabeth by capturing 300 Africans. His biographer, Harry Kelsey, calls him the Queen Elizabeth calls him Queen Elizabeth's slave trader. Jesus. Great. 
and notes that she contributed her ship, the Jesus of Lubbock, to his next voyage in 1564. So directly she was involved in this shit. Yeah. In 2018, Prince Charles denounced British role in the slave trade as an atrocity. But there have been calls for the Queen also to apologize on behalf of the monarchy, which has never happened. Yeah. And again, like... It's so fucking easy to do. Yeah, just make an apology. Say words, right? That's what all these fucking politicians do, is you say words, but you don't do anything materially to change the situation and make good. And she won't even do that. Yeah, no. You can't even say a word. Yeah. Let alone give back the fucking diamonds and shit that you stole. Yeah. Yeah. And billions and billions of dollars. You're talking about a centuries-long toll on the economy of these places, sucking the resources dry. Yep. Centuries long. Yeah. And you live on you know millions of dollars a year, and you can't even say a fucking word? Yeah. It's Fuck your queen, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really hurt by that. Bitch. I'm such a big supporter. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Republican campaigner Graham Smith has led the charge, noting that the current royals are sitting on a hugely significant amount, which was acquired from slavery and empire, just like you just said. Yeah. I don't read these articles in advance. I'm just... Yeah. That's fine. I know. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Right. Where we're going, right? So the next thing he makes is a colonial mindset, and this is just fucking disgusting. So the British Empire contracted after the world wars and eventually dissolved in the 1960s. Nevertheless, the colonial mindset has persisted. This has been regularly demonstrated by the casual racism of Prince Philip. I misnamed him earlier, but that's what I was talking about. So visiting Australian in 2002, he asked an Aboriginal Australian if they were still quote, throwing spears. Jesus Christ, dude. In 1999, he mused that an old-fashioned fuse box must have been put in an Indian. By 1980, in, in 1986, he warned British students in China they would become, quote, and I, I apologize for all this stuff, okay? No, we know you don't mean it. Like He, he warned British students in China they would become, quote, slitty-eyed if they stayed too long. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Australia, China, and India are just three of dozens of countries touched by British colonialism. While the prince's comments and many others are often dismissed as gaffes or poor jokes, they tie into a culture war, suggesting colonialism was ultimately a net good and Britain was spreading civilization throughout the world. Every time. Every time. Journalists... Pete Tatchell has argued that the institution of the of monarchy is itself inherently racist, as there have only been, and likely only ever will be, white monarchs, exemplified by Meghan Markle. Yeah. He notes, a non-white person is excluded from holding the title of head of state, at least for the foreseeable future. This is institutional racism. That's what my gut feel at the beginning was because that would shatter the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Right. Because it's premised upon, you know, we always harp on like capitalism and everything like that. But capitalism as it exists is so intertwined, as he as we're saying here, with racism and colonialism. Yeah. Right. So it would shatter this whole fucking thing. Yeah. And that's why they won't allow it. Yeah. So as we've kind of just said. 
While this could change, of course, the treatment of Megan and the alleged concerns over her son's skin color suggest the privilege the privileging of whiteness is deeply ingrained. Being the seventh in line to the throne, there was never a, realis- a realistic chance Archie would become king. The notion that his mere proximity to the throne had sparked concerns and the failure to defend Meghan from racist, racist attacks again points to a structural issue. And I will go into some personal accounts here in a second. Um, but the marriage of Harry and Meghan in 2018 by charismatic African-American bishop Michael Curry serenaded by a gospel choir was a public relations coup for the royals. The Sussex's exit from royal life after such a short period and the reasons why is highly damaging. Now, getting into a personal thing. Again, my family is relatively left-wing. I've, I've mentioned this before, like, hard trade unionists and everything else. And that's my uncles. Most of my cousins are the same, but there's definitely some deviations. And I remember being at my cousin's house and them complaining about Megan because she was quote, not British. (laughs) Now on the surface, you could view this as just like, she's not British. She's American. But what they meant was she's not white. Right. And that it's not just the monarchy. You know, it's it's deeply ingrained in British society as well. Hundred percent. I mean, again, and it's like that's it's all related. I mean, that's why. I mean, racism is so fucking deeply ingrained. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all it's 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 part of the same story. You know what I mean? In America and Britain. Yeah. And and even you know, I d- I don't like to speak ill of my family, but you know, there's a lot of problems historically in the unions in this country with racism. Yep. And it's the same in England. Yeah. And it's the same with my family, I would say. Um, you know, they could argue they're from a different generation, but it's still it's still racism. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is tangential, but I just watched this movie that everybody should watch. It was called um, Struggles in Steel. And it was wholly a documentary about black steel workers in, you know, particularly in the Pittsburgh area and also in like the Birmingham, Alabama era mm-hmm. uh, area. Sorry. Um, and these, these guys were part of, part of unions and they still faced such uphill battles. So like, don't get me wrong. Like a union is great. And these guys at the end said like the union that they were part of was, you know, obviously better than no union, but man, like, you know, they had this struggle just to get like a, get like a job. Yeah. Right. And then they got the shittiest jobs. And then they weren't adequately or equally represented in the union that they finally got to be a part of, you yeah. know? So, well, like, I mean, there's how many examples in American history of unions completely ruining their base by not allowing African-Americans in and, and just, you know, they would have been so much more powerful and just had yeah. such better membership, but they just... yeah. No, and that's why it's so fucking great to see somebody like Chris Smalls like leading yeah. the effort at you know no doubt at at, at Amazon right, so because the dude is legit yeah you know working class dude and like that's America baby so yeah. like fucking buckle up but like that's you know that's th- again I think that just ties into a broader point that like there's still strides that need to be made on that racial front as well and it can't be the symp- symbolic fucking liz- liberalism bullshit of just like saying words yeah. and like flying a flag or putting a hashtag on Twitter right 
like get with it on the, like the fucking material level. Right. Yeah. So the last point of, of his article, and I think this is pretty important, is uh, royal silence. So the monarchy has remained largely silent on the history of racism in Britain and how the royal family has benefited from racism and colonialism. After the death of George Floyd sparked the Black Lives Matter movement, thousands across Britain were quick to show their support and solidarity. So strongly did the movement resonate, in 2020, the English Premier League had the words Black Lives Matter printed on players' shirts opening matches with the players taking a knee. And that continues today. So I don't know how much of our audience are fans of football, real football, not soccer. (laughs) But um, before the Champions League final, which was last weekend, every Liverpool player took a knee before that in solidarity for the Black Black Lives Matter movement. That still happens today. None of the Spanish players took a knee. Yeah. For Real Madrid. Now... I don't want to say that they don't believe in it because there's a lot of, you know, black representation from Madrid as well. But I'm, it, it does make me proud that English teams still do that. Yeah. Despite the fact that their fucking fans protest this shit. There's a famous match. I think it was it wasn't this season, but it was last season. Burnley were playing Manchester City, and every single player took a knee. Mm-hmm. And someone, some fucking fan had paid for a plane to fly over the stadium that said, white lives matter too. Yeah. And so, like, that's not a fucking working class person, right, that can pay for a fucking plane. Right. That's a fucking shithead rich person that benefits off of this fucking colonial system. So, fuck you. And Ben Mee, the captain of Burnley, who's a white guy, after the match, Burnley ended up losing 5-1. And he came out and he spoke extremely eloquently and, and, and well on how hurt he was by that and, and how that, go, that went against everything they were trying to show in this and the, the, how that went against the oppression of, of black people in Britain and it went against, you know, the movement they were trying to promote. And, you know, that was, a, again, that was something I was proud of as a British person yeah. to see that that was happening. But unfortunately, there are massive swaths of the British population that just don't get behind this. So after all this and the Premier League taking in the and all this stuff, the royal family said nothing. By protocol, the monarchy does not comment on political issues, but its role is to offer moral leadership. Without explicitly endorsing Black Lives Matter, the Windsors could have contributed to the zeitgeist by offering statements condemning all forms of racism and visibly championing championing anti-racism charities it's like no you motherfuckers everything is political especially when you're the head of state of 52 whatever the fuck countries you said it was everything is fucking political right so by you failing to say something you're doing you're making a political action yes by failing to do it yeah so fuck you yeah and especially if they're supposed to be they're often supposed to offer moral leadership yeah (laughs) so what 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 message are you sending motherfucker they're sending a message of they yeah, don't really care. I was really going to not curse so much today. Yeah, well, I've, I've cursed a lot, so. No, but, like, everything is political. Yeah. Like, outside of this context, everything is political now, right? It's, yeah. So, what are you saying? That's bullshit. It's liberal bullshit. Well, you know, they spread... Monarchical li- liberal, they sp- whatever. They <laughs> Monarchical liberalism. liberalism. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> they spread liberalism throughout God the world, it. Nick. Come on. <laughs> So as a society, Britain is having a difficult national conversation about its imperial past. Statues of slave owners are being torn down, 
and attempts to decolonize the curriculum are gathering pace. If the royal family is not able to make similar attempts to confront racism in its past and present, it, it risks falling ever further out of touch with the people it is supposed to represent. I agree with that statement, but I also, I mean, I agree with the sentiment of that statement, but I also think it, it ignores the fact that there are still large, you know, it's similar to here, like the statue wars and all this bullshit that fucking conservatives, again, I'm swearing, sorry, <clears throat> that conservatives about like the statue wars and like it's removing our history. Well, you know, you shouldn't be proud of this history. You want to talk about history? Talk about the shit that we're talking about. Yeah. Right? That's right. You want to own your history? You want to, you want to be proud of your history? Let's talk about the real history, right? Yeah. I'm reading, um, I'm reading parts of W.E.B. Du Bois' like Black Reconstruction in America, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and he tells the story as if like, you know, the black man is a human fucking being, right? Whereas like the dominant narratives on that uh, history at the time talked about it, it, like, again, like it's the same kind of thing where it's like these ignorant savages getting, you know, the ability to vote and they couldn't do it. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, let's, let's own the history then if you want to. Well, keep we the statues up, but then you got to learn the actuality. We you, can't because CRT's bad, Nick. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I, you want to take if that line, so like, let's proud. do the real thing. If you want to take yeah. that line, let's do the real thing. Let's learn it all, and you can own it, and you can trace the fucking material linkage between all this shit. Yeah. You're right? so proud of your history that you're scared to teach half of it. Yeah. Well, Fuck more you. than half of this it. This 1776 project. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. You want to make George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, like, you know, cartoon character superheroes. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. So... Similarly to the way I closed the episode about Rogers when I read the Abenaki's statement on ethnocide, I want to read, um, to close out, an open letter sent by a coalition of Jamaican politicians, business leaders, doctors, and musicians. This was sent on the eve of, a, of William and Kate's uh, Caribbean tour, which was seen as a charm offensive to persuade other Caribbean nations not to follow the lead of Barbados in removing the queen as head of state. <clears throat> it, comes as Jamaica ce- it, it came as Jamaica celebrated 60 years of independence and months before this weekend's celebration in Britain. So the letter is, Dear William and Kate, We note with great concern your visit to our country, Jamaica, during a period when we are still in the throes of a global pandemic, embracing the full impact of another global crisis associated with the Russian-Ukraine war. Many Jamaicans are unaware of your visit as they struggle to cope with the horrendous fallout of of the COVID-19 pandemic, exacerbated by pre-existing social and economic hardships inherited from our colonial past. We also note that your visit is part of the celebrations to mark the 70th anniversary, quote, Platinum Jubilee, of the coronation of your grandmother and the 60th anniversary of Jamaica's independence. We see no reason to celebrate 70 years of the ascension of your grandmother to the British throne because her leadership and that of her predecessors have perpetuated the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind. Her ascension to the throne in February 1952 took place 14 years after the 1938 labor uprisings against inhumane working-slash-living conditions and treatment of workers, painful legacies of plantation slavery, which persist today. 
During her 70 years on the throne, your grandmother has done nothing to redress and atone for the suffering of our ancestors that took place during her reign and or during the entire period of British trafficking of Africans, enslavement, indentureship, and colonization. In fact, on September 30th, 2015, former Prime Minister David Cameron addressed a joint sitting of both houses of the Jamaican Parliament and told us to, quote, move on from this painful legacy. Merely acknowledging the, quote, horrors of slavery and asserting British leadership in the abolition of slavery. Many of us were outraged and demanded an apology, though several open letters by former Prime Minister P.J. Patterson, Sir Henry Beckles, Vice-Chancellor of the University of the West Indies and University of Technology, Jamaican professionals, as well as newspaper articles, including one by Dr. Henry, Henley Morgan. We still await an apology for the offensive and insensitive statements. We have not forgotten. As Cameron correctly noted, these runs... These wounds run very deep. We therefore will not participate in your Platinum Jubilee celebration. We will, however, celebrate 60 years of freedom from British colonial domination. We are saddened that more progress has not been made given the burden of our colonial inheritance. We nonetheless celebrate the many achievements of great Jamaicans who rejected negative colonial self-concepts and who self-confidently succeeded against tremendous odds. We will also remember and celebrate our freedom fighters, including our national heroes, who bravely fought against British tyrannical rule and abominable human rights abuses. We welcome you to join this celebration. You, who may one day lead the British monarchy, are direct beneficiaries of the wealth accumulated by the royal family over centuries, including that stem stemming from the trafficking and enslavement of Africans. You therefore have the unique opportunity to redefine the relationship between the British monarchy and the people of Jamaica. If you, chose to, if you choose to do so, we urge you start with an apology and recognition of the need for atonement and reparations. There are many reasons why we see this as an important and necessary way forward for you, for both, for you both and, for, and the generations to come. We have attached a list of only 60 reasons why in, com in commemoration of our 60 years of freedom from British colon colonization. We urge you to reflect carefully on these 60 reasons why you should apologize and begin a process of reparatory justice. It is unconscionable that enslavers that have compensated under the Slave Compensation Act 1837 with some payments converted into 3.5% government annuities, which lasted until 2015, yet to date there has been no compensation paid to the descendants of enslaved Africans. We are of the view that an apology for British crimes against humanity, including but not limited to the exploitation of the indigenous people of Jamaica, the transatlantic trafficking of Africans, the enslavement of Africans, indentureship and colonization is necessary to begin a process of healing, forgiveness, reconciliation and compensation. We encourage you to act accordingly and just say, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Boldly, yet a youthful generation in the hope that it's possible to create a future where the philosophy which hold one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned. And when there, and when there, where there is no first class and second class citizens of any nation and where the color of a man's skin 
is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. And finally, where basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard of race. These, were, these, these words were used by Emperor Haile Selassie I in his speech to the United Nations General Assembly on October 4th, 1963, and was made popular by Bob Marley in the song War. As a Rastafarian, Bob Marley embodied advocacy and is recognized globally for the principles of human rights, equality, reparations, and repatriation. Use these words to create a new narrative and reality of peace for your generation and the generations to come with great expectations. What a based fucking statement. Yeah, it was great. And I don't want to go into the 60 reasons that they go into, but they kind of group them. And the way they group them is the first being conquest and transatlantic trafficking of Africans, plantation slavery and inhumane punishment, cruelty to women and men and destruction of the family life, immoral, inconscionable laws and governance, health, education, identity, and self-perception, reparations and repatriation, and that's it. See, you know, I I think especially like the um, identity and self-perception, that goes deep when you talk about institutional racism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it goes to like, I think that last point, you know what I mean? With like healthcare and like the material things that people need to fucking live yeah. that have been, you know, when the resources of your island are, or, you know, and the, the resources and that includes like the people are dedicated to, you know, working sugar plantations. Right. And like, you know, even beyond slavery, that, I mean, that's what it was even through like the, you know, colonial, like the colonial or neo-colonial area era. Right. Like, but you know, all of that work and everything that that place could like produce is to the benefit of a country fucking what two three thousand miles across the atlantic yeah you know so like in those things you know what i mean what you said is important as well like right like that national identity for these people that for these subjugated people yes right and it's tied to the material immiseration as a result of this fucking colonial system yeah right so just we we I just like i want to keep hammering on like the fucking intersectionality i guess of these two things and why that struggle still matters yeah. on multiple levels. Right. Yeah. And I, I encourage anyone who's interested in this and, you know, we all should be to, to just look up the 60 reasons because obviously I've, I, I've just, they've been grouped here, but you like know, two white guys can't say it better than yeah. the fucking people of Jamaica and again, are living with it. And right? I think that's a good point. Right. And, and I think that I'm, you know, as we go on, um, we're trying to get more collaborations with people that these stories actually represent and affect. But in, in the absence of being able to do that, I think these statements, much like the Abenaki statement, are, are important for us to be representative of, of, of their beliefs and what they think and, and, and what the people who are actually affected by this um, believe. Yeah, um, and I think that's you know we're going to continue doing stuff like this and and trying to find as much representation of of true histories that we can. Yeah, no, I mean at a minimum, I want to you know radicalize people through actually learning history, right? And then 
kind of try to, and this is something that is an ongoing process for all of us. So, I mean, you and I probably say things that like, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be like, oh, like, why did we say things like that? You know what I mean? But it's about a process of like, again, kind of stripping away that fucking colonial lens that you look at the world through, right? You know what I mean? I mean, as we've said, you know, we probably said this a lot at the start and haven't said it for a while. We're not historians. We're just two guys that are trying to educate themselves and learn as we go along and hopefully help to educate other people and and make them, again, we don't have all the answers. We don't have, we don't know everything. We just want people to actually look into this stuff and and, and form their own opinions. Right. And just like at a minimum, the world does not fucking revolve around like the history of like Britain and the US, right? Like, so again, like people... In other parts of the world know that, right? Because they look at us like we're all fucking crazy, I yeah. think. But, like, especially if you're living in this, in that kind of sphere, like, you know, I think you owe <laughs> you owe a little bit of a deep dive to at least grapple with the history a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, just to talk about, like, the ignorance of people and, and um, you know, I, I, I mentioned this to you, but my in-laws were here a couple weeks ago, and we were out to dinner one night, and... You know, they said something to me. They said, how do, and again, I, I'm going to couch this in the fact that, or or have a little caveat that I, I try not to get in arguments with them because it just, you know. It's a losing battle. <laughs> yes. But th- my mother-in-law made a comment like, how do, how do Russians not know what's really going on in the Ukraine? And I was so close to saying like, how much do you know about Yemen and what's going on in Yemen? How the fuck do we know what the hell's going on in the Ukraine, in, in Ukraine? truly you know what i mean but her point her point was like you know the russians are these infiltrators in this country and no and, i get it yeah and but i was like do you yeah. still believe that fucking iraq was about freedom yeah look at yemen now and, right. and uh, our direct fucking involvement there and biden that's just not sent, reported here biden said just sent troops back to somalia yeah what the fuck's going on there yeah so i you mean know? there what are you is talking about you know there's a massive ignorance in this country about, and it's not just this country. I shouldn't say that. It's the same in England and everywhere else. Um, you, you, your history is based on what the dominating class and dominating, whatever you know, want you to think it is. Right. And, and you just have to try and expand your mind a little bit. And, and and I hope that we're doing something to help people do that. Yeah. No, that's all we can. That's all we can hope for. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Uh, Happy Queen's Jubilee. <laughs> God, my heart is fucking racing. God damn it. Thanks for listening. Thank you.